Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. In many ways, this is, this is the center of the book of Leviticus. And if you remember that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, they actually come together, right? So, so they come to God's people in a, in a single package. And as one commentator, Michael Morales, reminds us that Leviticus is the center of Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then the center of the center is Leviticus 16. And this is the high point of Israel's worship, and it points to the single event that is the high point of all of human history, but of our lives, and that is that is the crucifixion. And so it is a lengthy chapter for time's sake. I'm, I'm going to break this over two weeks, Lord willing, and we're going to look at it in two ways. Instead of looking at all the object lessons at once, we're going to look at what Leviticus 16 teaches us about the person of Jesus. And so in that way, we'll be looking at Aaron the high priest. Lord willing, next week, we'll be looking at the two goats, which will point us to the work of Jesus. So you have his person and his work. Tonight, our meditation will be on the person. And we're going to read the first five verses of Leviticus 16. And then we're going to turn to Hebrews and read a few verses there. And all of this, I want you to think as part of our meditation for coming to the table. All right, so, so as, we, as we seek to behold Christ, through the word and by faith, it is with that anticipation of coming to the table to feast upon him. And then, if you remember the last line of this second hymn that we've sung, that we will see our wounded Savior, we'll behold him face to face. That's the whole goal of life, this beatific vision. And what we behold by faith in this life, we will behold by sight in the next. And so with all of that, let's come to God's word. Leviticus 16, 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come eat at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And if you could turn over to Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews 7 going to read just a few verses starting at 26. 
So here, the writer of Hebrews is contrasting the priesthood of Aaron with the priesthood of Jesus. And in verse 26, he writes, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, that is Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those priests, to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And then flip over one page to Hebrews 9, remembering that the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle is not a copy of the New Testament church. The tabernacle is a copy of the dwelling place of God, right? The true holy of holies, right? So in Leviticus 16, we're receiving instruction of what Aaron needs to do to go into the copy, into that holy of holies on earth. Verse 23 of chapter nine, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word. The tabernacle is where God promised to dwell and it is from the tabernacle that his glory shone. If we could just do a quick recap to bring us up to Leviticus 16, we have all of those, those instructions for sacrifices for all of these sins in chapters 1 through 7, and then the ordination of the priest in chapter 8. And then do you remember that in chapter 9, there's this great day of this first day of worship and Aaron has all of his garments on. He makes these sacrifices before the Lord. Now, everything that they've just heard is now being done. And all of a sudden, fire comes and just consumes the sacrifice. And what a great day. And, and from that, that fire of the glory of God's grace moves all of the people to praise and worship, joy. And then immediately, Nadab and Abihu, they start doing their thing, and they offer strange fire to the Lord. And now fire comes from heaven, this, this fire of God's wrath, and it consumes them. And now in the tabernacle, there are two corpses. And so then you have these laws of purification, chapters 11 to 15, where we are reminded that not only of the sin that we commit, but also the pollution of this world that's everywhere, and that entrance into the tabernacle can have no pollution. And we see all of these laws, again, confusing to us, but they teach us Right, that approaching God, there can be no pollution. All right, so with all of those discharges, 
of blood and all of that, we're reminded by the end of chapter 15 that the only blood permitted into the tabernacle is that of the sacrificial animal, right? And so then on the very same day that Nadab and Abihu are consumed, in the very same day that they also see the fire of God's glorious grace, you then now have the Day of Atonement, the legislation given there. And this day only occurs once a year. And the sacrifice of this day, it is, think, think of this, this is the full-blown purification. This, these sacrifices are, are offered in order to, to be those sacrifices for the sins of all of the people, and it's also to be a sacrifice for the purification of the temple, of the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle has been polluted. And so here is this day. And it was a day of, of examination. It was a sobering day. It was filled with suspense. The greatest drama in all of the religious life of Israel is coming to this day. And we see that the tabernacle, again, is not just the dwelling place of God, but it is the way to God. The further in you get into the tabernacle, the nearer you come to his presence and the greater the restrictions. And so we see also, right, that in the Old Testament, access to God was open but restricted. And all of that is going to picture something better and bigger and more glorious. And there's a lot of activity going on in this chapter of Aaron and the animals, but I want us to consider tonight just that of Aaron. I want you to see three things in our meditation and coming to the supper. We see first that dealing with sin is a work of humiliation. Again, all of the people of Israel have seen and heard all of the instruction of Genesis, of Exodus, and now Leviticus. And Aaron, as the high priest, his everyday garments were garments of glory, garments of splendor, precious stones on his shoulder, precious stones on the breastplate, all speaking to and representing the people of God and picturing that here as the high priest, on the shoulders of the high priest, he bears the weight of the people. But on the heart of the high priest, he bears the love of the people, right? And when we sing before the throne of God above, our names are graven on his hands, our name are written on his heart. That reality is pictured in Aaron's high priestly garments, and they speak of great glory. He has this crown on his head of gold, and it says, holiness unto the Lord. But on this day, he's instructed, you take those off. You're dealing here with the sins of the people. You take off those glorious garments, and you put on these holy but humble linen in verse 
for this is what you are to put on on this day. It is linen. There's no precious gems here. And I think if we're to see something of what this says about Jesus, we see the humiliation of Christ. What are the garments that Jesus puts on? Flesh. Right, that beautiful hymn that we sing every Christmas by Wesley, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. He does not set aside his deity, but he takes upon humanity, the eternal son of God. And this is what I want to say, the, the great humiliation of the eternal son of God, who for all eternity knows the, he is the glory of the Father, the express image of the Father, the radiance of the Father. And then in time, he takes on flesh, born of a virgin, born into a home of, of poverty. We've already looked at that as Mary and Joseph bring their offering for the purification. It's two birds because they could not afford anything more. And Hebrews tells us that the garment of the great high priest is a body that was prepared for him, a body in which he had come to do the will of God. And I think we want to see this when we come to the table. We come to the table, and, and the first element that is distributed is the bread, this emblem of Christ's body. He takes that frail garment of humanity that qualifies him to be our representative before God. Because remember, a priest, a priest represents mankind before God. But if there is to be ultimate restoration and reconciliation, this, this umpire, as it were to use Job's language, this referee, this one that comes between, must represent both God and man. He must be both God and man. And what great grace, what great mercy. And so to deal with sin, there must be humiliation. But we see, secondly, that in dealing with sin, it requires purity. If you were to look in Leviticus 16 at verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, Go down to verse 11, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. Verse 17, no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself. And then verse 24, and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on garments and come out and offer burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself. And so there is built in to the very sacrificial system of the Old Testament a reminder that this is not ultimately it. There is built in within every sacrifice that Aaron has to make first for himself a reminder that, man, we need another priest. 
We need a more holy priest. We need a pure priest. We need a spotless priest who does not first have to offer sacrifice for himself. In order to deal with sin for us, we need one who does not have to first deal with sin for himself. And so this aspect of the Day of Atonement is that reminder that we are not to look at the picture and confuse it with the reality. But here is the glory of what this points to. And we read this in Hebrews 7. Every high priest, the writer of Hebrews, is is, going to die, and he's replaced. And then that priest is going to die, and he's replaced. But there's one priest who's going to die, And then he's going to become undead, and he's never going to die again, and he never needs to be replaced. And that priest is able to save you to the uttermost. He is able to save you fully. And then in Hebrews 7, it gives us the rationale of why. It's because this high priest is holy, spotless, pure, undefiled, separated from sin. Like, there's almost no other way the writer of Hebrews could explain that this one, this Jesus, is holy. It's like he unleashes the the, the source of purity and says, and he's this, and he's this, and he's this, and so that you can know that your sins are truly and fully paid for. It is finished. And so, the only way in which Christ can be that true Lamb of God is that he's holy. Understand, he he earned the right to die for you. When he goes to the cross, he earned that right. It is through suffering he learned obedience. He shows himself to be the perfect mediator. And so that when he sheds his blood, that blood is pure, spotless, and infinite. And then we see third and finally, and looking at the drama of Aaron, the priest, we see that dealing with sin requires death and resurrection. And therefore, sinners can be assured of salvation And I think this is one of the most beautiful pictures of this whole thing. Whatever is going on inside the tabernacle, nobody outside could see. There's the the weightiness, the tension of Aaron going into the holy place, going through all of those rites, knowing that he's about to go into the most holy place. And there, Aaron will see what no one else can see. And back there, he goes through all of the rituals, all the rites, which we'll consider, Lord willing, next week. And he sprinkles the blood, and this smoke comes, and you have all of this taking place in that holy of holies at the mercy seat. And then Aaron comes out. And I know that there is a story that has almost reached legendary status that that they would tie a rope around the high priest and send it in. And if 
He didn't come out of it. They'd yank it. That is not biblical. It was impossible for the high priest to go back into the Holy of Holies and not come out. Because if that happened, the whole picture is botched. Remember, this is a picture of the gospel, not a picture of the merit of Aaron. It's a picture of the gospel. And what is going on in that holy of holies is a picture of atonement being made. And that atonement being satisfying to God. And so Aaron then walks back out and he goes into the holy place and he goes through in verse 23 and following. And notice here, Aaron comes into the tent of meeting and he shall take off the linen garments that he put on into the holy place and he leaves them there. He then bathes his body in water in the holy place and then he puts back on his high priestly garments. And the next time he walks out in front of all the people, he is in the robes of glory. And here we have exaltation, Christ, in that humiliation, he gives himself to death on the cross. All of the scourging in his body, all of the torment of his soul, all of that wrath being poured out upon him at Calvary. And he cries out, it is finished, and he's put into the tomb just As he was put in the tomb and had to come out, so the picture of that must be. And on that third day, it was impossible. The Roman soldiers could have put 500 massive round stones in front of each other, and it was impossible for Christ not to come out on that Sunday morning. And he comes out in glory, he comes out in exaltation, and he comes out to declare that what has been done for you is certain, is secure. You can have assurance the death and the resurrection go together because of the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot have his humiliation without the exaltation. Remember, this is what Satan tried to tempt him at. He tried to promise Christ exaltation without the humiliation. Look, if you bow to me now, you can have it all. And Christ says, it's not the way. It's not the way. The way to glory is suffering. And he goes through it. And then Hebrews is that divine commentary of Leviticus 16. Where is it that Jesus goes when he dies? He goes into that true holy of holies into the very presence of God, and he brings there before the Father his own pure and spotless blood. And in doing so, he has removed all of our sin, he's removed all of our impurities, all of our pollution, and he has brought about certain salvation. And Hebrews will go on and tell you, this was done once for all. In this old covenant, Once a year, one person could go. Now, here's the glory and wonder. Jesus Christ, once and for all, goes into the holy place, and he opens it up. The veil is rent, and now you and I can go there in the place of prayer anytime we want. Right? That's Hebrews 4. Right? And this is the wonder. Flesh is now in 
the true holy of holies. And he says, I've opened up the way for you. You need grace and help here? Great, go there. You can go there anytime. He's opened up the way. And, and you don't have to wait just once a year, anytime, any day, because that's where your high priest is. And then Hebrews and Ephesians will go on and say, look, it's even better than that. That is where you are positionally. In your union with Christ, you are positionally already at the right hand of God in the Holy of Holies. And so you go there. You are there. This is, this, is, this is beyond what I'm able to explain. I don't know how to explain it, but right now, positionally, in our throne union with Jesus Christ, we're there. And here's the wonder as we come now to the table. Right? So, so positionally, we're there, and, and, and bodily, he's there. But bodily, we're here. But spiritually, he's here through his spirit. And when we eat and when we drink, in this sacramental union, we eat the bread and it's bread, but it's consecrated. It's divinely instituted bread and we eat that, but by faith we are feasting upon the risen Christ. And that cup that he gives it's a cup filled with all blessings because he took the cup of wrath and he took it all and he goes up into that holy place and his father accepts it. He's raised right and with his hands. He gives, he gives to his elders the cup. They give it to you. And it's bound up with everything that he's earned for you. And so he knows that in this life, and, and what a wonderful song we sang right before this, this eternal weight of glory. We know that in this life, we sometimes cry out, how long, O Lord? And, and the bread and the cup is that declaration where he answers it. How long? It's until I come. You eat and you drink until I come. And then I'm coming back for you. And can you imagine that anticipation in Israel at that one day a year when Aaron emerges out in that full glory, that anticipation that we have when Christ emerges from the throne and he says, I'm back. I'm here for you. It's all been worth it. In the light of his glorious face, it's all worth it. But we need sometimes that reminder. And so Christ shepherds us here. And he says, look, hold this. Smell it. Taste it. See it. As more certain that you are of that bread and cup in your hand, and consume, more certainly shall I come for you. And it is secure, and you can have assurance because what Aaron pictures in coming out of the Holy of Holies, Jesus does in reality 
and coming out of the tomb and ascending into heaven and then coming back for us. Let us, let us pray.